Are you sure about this? How do you mean? We've spent a decade searching for Aurigai 6. We vetted it. We ran the simulations. We mapped the terrain. It's what we trained for. And now that, we're going to scrap all that to chase a rogue transmission. Think about it. A human being out there where there can't be any humans. A hidden planet that turns up out of nowhere and just happens to be perfect for us. It's too good to be true. Too good to be true? What do you mean by that? We don't know what the fuck's out there. Maybe we just missed the planet, Danny. This is a monumental risk, not worth taking. I'm not committing to anything. I'm simply trying to navigate the path as it unfolds before us, and this has the potential to be a better habitat for our colony. Yeah, it has the potential. We don't know that. By the way, this crew, nobody, nobody wants to get back in the pods. Right? And that was a human voice in that transmission, and it's our responsibility to investigate. It's our responsibility to protect the 2,000 colonists on this ship. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, The Lady One, and I'm here with... Chris Galza. Screen Run is the podcast where we discuss the films of a particular artist or franchise one by one, and season two is all about the Alien series. Today, in episode nine, our penultimate episode of this season, we'll be discussing Alien Covenant. And joining us today is a podcast host, producer, and composer. It's David Rosen. Hi, David. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited that you could be here. So could you tell our lovely listeners a little bit about your history with the Alien films and Alien Covenant in particular? My my history with the aliens, the the like the earlier ones, it's a little a little you know wishy washy. I, I don't really remember them that well from from growing up, but of course I saw them all. I saw Alien at some point when I was much younger. Aliens <laughs> when I was probably the perfect age to see it. You know, like. <laughs> seven or something (laughs) and uh alien three in the theater hated it alien resurrection in the theater hated it uh came around all the (laughs) way to prometheus and alien covenant and uh prometheus didn't really like but covenant really liked and we'll get into that later i'm sure but (laughs) yeah then went back to the originals and found myself liking them even more like now as an adult so yeah it's uh, it's kind of all over the place basically I mean, that is this franchise. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) It is all over. Chris, you're back. We missed you. We missed you last episode when Megan and I went off on Prometheus. You know, (laughs) I listened to that episode because I had the pleasure of editing it. And I will say, not that I wouldn't have anyway, but I don't think you missed me at all. And uh, (laughs) I think that's fine. And I'm not going to say maybe the show has improved with my absence, but I'm not going to say it wasn't. (laughs) But I am... Happy to be back. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Well, we're glad that you're back. And because we've got like essentially direct sequels for the first time in a minute, mm. we can sneak some more of your thoughts on Prometheus back into this episode again. It's it's going to come up. I, oh, yeah. I think that's fair. We have a direct <laughs> sequel, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Chris, when did you first see Alien Covenant? Was it in the theaters? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is well within my consistent movie going arc at that point. I think... Yeah, my show, other show, had been going for a mm-hmm. while at that point, yeah. so we definitely covered it then, too. I remember enjoying it a lot, and what's funny is, we'll get into this, but I've been vacillating back and forth <laughs> since I watched it again. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think I enjoyed the experience. I liked, I think, at the time that we're actually getting into the actual alien, right? This is finally... 
what it's, it's just where we kind of get into the whole prequel now we can talk about mm-hmm. what ridley scott's plans are or <laughs> i guess maybe we should say were but yeah it was kind of fun to see kind of where finally where it all began for reals i guess this time but yeah, yeah i saw it in the theaters i remember enjoying it at the time uh i saw it a month ago <laughs> wow <laughs> uh twice though twice in case uh i need a recap from last episode i didn't like prometheus i got real mad at it i loved how it looked because what i had been watching was alien versus or aliens versus predator requiem and that looked like absolute shit so to see a beautiful competently shot movie was very exciting but other than that i was i was pretty grumpy throughout and uh yeah, that didn't that didn't go away with this one, but we'll 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 discuss that. <laughs> I have a question for you, really quick. Had you yeah. watched Covenant yet when you recorded the episode on Prometheus? I think I had. Okay, I'm trying to remember. It's all a blur. All right, this will come up a little more later, but uh, yeah, continue. <laughs> so let's um, talk briefly about how this movie came to be, just a little bit, and then we can get into what's coming, what's not coming, what's never coming. Uh, that kind of goes along with it. So Prometheus from our last episode came out in 2012 and originally Ridley Scott was planning to make uh, his next movie, this one, a direct sequel to Prometheus. It was going to be called Paradise Lost and it was going to be one of four movies in his little prequel chunk, I guess we'll call it because it's not a trilogy if it's four. And the three of them were going to be focused on the engineers and then that finally that fourth one was going to connect the two into Alien and kind of lead in. Um, He really wanted to focus more on the engineers, more on the backstory of where do they come from? Why do they do what they do? And less about the aliens. But given the reception of Prometheus and how audiences really wanted aliens and not engineers, he kind of shifted what he had planned, but he was sort of already painted into a quarter with how the movie Prometheus ends. It's kind of interesting to see how he took into account the audience reception, which I am never going to say that I have a problem with because ultimately they are making it for an audience to receive. So I am glad that he had the, I guess I'm going to say humility to say, oh, what I thought everybody wanted was not what everybody wanted. So I'm going to give you what you want, but I don't know that it worked for everybody. It sounds like it worked for you though, David. Tell me why it worked for you. So <laughs> yeah, and the problem with with Covenant, the the thing that keeps it from just being absolutely amazing in my opinion is when he gives in to audience demands. I mean, the audience uh I I do differ from you a little bit on this. The audience <laughs> doesn't know what it wants the audience (laughs) has no clue what it needs or what it wants and uh yeah i I think that the 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 david story the uh the engineer story all that is just infinitely more interesting than let's explain everything in those Mm -hmm. alien movies and uh, let's explain where the xenomorphs came from like that part of it isn't so much what i find interesting about these prequels and so that's when it's his weird original idea that he wanted to explore here, that's when it works its best. I would have to agree with that. As much as I complained about in Prometheus, how we're so focused on what if Jesus was an alien and Mm. getting into weird origin stories of humanity that I didn't care about. If you do care about that, then that's an interesting movie. I was just like waiting for an alien story. And if this kind of movie had come first, 
maybe it would have worked better for me if it was like all blood and guts and horror and weird creatures coming first, maybe. But yeah, I, I <laughs> kind of struggled with, I was like, where's the alien? And then in this one, I was like, there's too many aliens. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and that's why I asked you about whether or not you had uh, already seen Covenant at the time that you recorded the Prometheus yeah. one, because... For me, I did not like Prometheus when I first saw it. I was like, what the hell was that? That was <laughs> stupid. Like, why are they running in a straight line from the ship? You know, all the big things that we all complain mm -hmm. about in that movie. Uh, but once I literally, the credits start rolling on Covenant, I'm walking in my car and I'm like, Prometheus was fucking amazing. Like... <laughs> <laughs> That's what came out of my mouth after seeing Covenant. Like, I finally, like, it, it's just like a whole overall story that together just is awesome to me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to properly explain, like, what it is that there's these two movies so closely tied doing very different things all within the franchise of another movie that it's like <laughs> trying to have nothing to do with, but also yeah. trying to directly create. And it's, <sighs> it's messy, very messy for sure. <laughs> yeah, I always go back and forth with it. I feel like it's like an overcorrection, yeah. right? The big example I always think of that is Superman Returns to Man of Steel. A lot of mm. people don't like Superman Returns because it's, they say it's boring and he just lifts a bunch of heavy stuff and that's all that ever really happens. <laughs> yeah. And then there's not enough action. And then Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is just overboard with all of the actions. He just overcorrects. And I wonder if that's part of what the issue is here. Because I think in Prometheus, I like that film a lot because I think it deals with all... It's basically Scott's, what, kind of metaphysical mm. science fiction film where he's tackling all of these heady concepts. And yeah. we revisit these again in Covenant, but... They almost feel like window dressing because the core of he's trying to still make a horror film. And I want to pull this clip because I want to have a question for you, uh, David and Juan, about this. This is from his commentary from Covenant. And I want to see if you th think he's successful. What we have tried to do here is to really, really scare the shit out of people. Right. So that's what he's doing. <laughs> so he says, all right, I did all the heady stuff in Prometheus. But now, I, like you said, Juan, I hear the audience wants more alien. Mm. They want more horror. So I'm going to go in that direction here. But still kind of hold on to the tatters of what I did before. Yeah. Is he successful? Is it scary? I feel like Ridley Scott is vastly underestimating my fear of thinking too hard and like questioning existence. And that, that's way scarier to me than like a creature in the dark. He was onto something with like the thing that made us is going to destroy us. That's scary. Mm -hmm. He just didn't get to the scary part of it because he was doing the setup. And then when it came time to pay off how scary that is, uh, he was like, look, monsters. It, sh it should also be added that uh, Ridley Scott is a real bullshitter and just <laughs> yeah. really loves to play around in interviews. And I mean, if you see his recent stuff with The Last Duel and uh, House of Gucci, I mean, he just... He just loves messing around in these interviews. And yeah. so who knows what is real and what's not. But I agree, though, like him him giving in to pressures with Covenant and going mm -hmm. for the scary alien movie, it definitely muddies the water a little bit. Yeah. he. I, I feel like, is it possible that there's there's twins and they just keep having to switch places like prestige style and one of them... <laughs> is oh, a good filmmaker. Yeah, <laughs> One of them exactly. Is 
<laughs> sorry, I had to. I, I'm trying to even think of how old the Prestige is, but I love it so much. So sorry <laughs> to anyone if I spoiled it. Well, speaking of old, you know, to this day, little sidebar, Your Honor, if I may. Uh, when anybody somebody says the word twins, I flash back to what is it, the Bud Light commercial <laughs> <laughs> and twins. Yeah, that, that's what plays in my head anytime everybody says that word. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Sad, really. <laughs> So you think the film is undercut by its haunted house sensibilities? He's going back to the old school well, right? To the first film and why it was so successful. And you think both of you feel maybe we should have dealt more with the philosophical God stuff. I think he should have just picked something. A film you didn't like. Oh, yeah. But if he had like, like stayed with that and continued that story, I think it would have been better. I don't know that I would have loved it, but I think it would have been better than what he did with this one which is try to appease people but still not still not actually give in and give people all of what they want it's compromising his own story for because the studio says because he wants people to like it i i don't i don't know what it is i don't see him as a guy who cares so much about what the studio says and what the audience want like i pulled that clip that we, in our Prometheus episode, where he talks about basically these people don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Sounds like I him. really feel he's going to make the movie he wants to make. Now, maybe he's not going to you know hit a home run every time, but yeah. he's still hitting doubles and triples for sure. And I mean, we could talk about the last duel for like three hours if you want, but still. <laughs> I do agree with Lady One that that it, that is the problem that he's not really picking a lane here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I my support of these two films is a little measured. As much as I really, really like them, I love them even. But I, if he did lean into one or the other, and preferably all the the God and and weird mysticism stuff and all that, if he mm-hmm. had leaned into that, I'd be sitting here telling you guys this is the best sci-fi movie like ever, <laughs> you know. But mm. because it because he's trying to do everything all at once, it does. It does take it back a little bit. Yeah. It's uh, overly ambitious. Should we just call it that? That's fair. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic so that I don't just like go on a rant. Like, <laughs> See, I, I keep vacillating again back and forth. So I last week on the other show, I talked to Matt, my, other, my co-host there on that. And he I told him we were talking about Covenant. And I was like, yeah, what do you think? And I'm like, eh. And then we recorded our new show today, and it's like, what? Are you, uh, and I'm like, oh, Covenant's dropping in a, in a few days. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, Matt, this time I'm like, eh. You know, like <laughs> I keep going back and forth on it because there's a lot of stuff in this that I like. I like the horror of it. I like the pacing. It's a relentless film, but it's still at times it feels lesser than Prometheus because it's like it says it doesn't have that metaphysical yeah uh, dome over it where it's tackling all these high-end concepts it's still now back to the haunted house thing which I think undercuts the film but there's other stuff too like I think he tries to raise the stakes by having the crew of the ship be couples I think it's a really interesting idea that these are colonists who are that really there's emotional ties between them unlike in alien unlike perhaps in prometheus mm-hmm. where these people aren't as connected as they are in this film did that raise the stakes for you at all either of you so i found that to be very interesting because it took me probably a little while to realize that because so much of the the parts with the crew are just people talking to each other on headsets and like honey this and honey that and i'm like mm. wait 
is that person married to that person? Like they, I <laughs> truly, I want the whole, like, just show me them holding hands or something. Help me out. Because I was having trouble understanding. I was like, wait, they're all couples, which, okay, I, I can follow the idea. They're going to colonize. This is a one-way trip. It makes sense that this crew would be couples. But shit, man, that's that's not a good working environment. Like <laughs> when I was in college, I couldn't work with my boyfriend. He was not a great manager. <laughs> like I was like, I don't have to listen to you. And like, that's not appropriate in the workplace. So I just, I felt like that seemed a little crazy to not introduce in a more kind of I'm going to say like lazy filmmaker way, like give me like, that's why this ship is, you know, crewed by all couples because we're going to be doing this, like say it for me because I didn't super follow it as it was happening. And I also didn't know anybody's names other than Tennessee. And I really struggled to kind of keep up with who did what. I felt like we didn't get nice character establishments like we've had even in you know, some of the lesser movies in the series, obviously no one does it as well as Aliens, but even some of the other ones, I at least knew what was going on. I knew what was going on in Prometheus. I knew who did what. They say like, ah, I'm the geologist. Got it. Nailed it. Ready. Let's go. I I do think this suffers a little bit too from the Prometheus stuff where half of the crew exists just to be victims. They're expendable. Yeah. yeah. You don't really get any an time movie. With, with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah. But that was why the first one works so well, because you do get invested in each of the characters. When here, half of them are just fodder. They're mm-hmm. just there to be taken out. But what do you think, David, about the introduction? Of the, and, and I'll say, too, that part of the challenge, and I guess this is not a good thing per se, is you get a lot more background information with the special features on the on the disc. Yeah. Oh, did he do that again? Yeah. Oh, I had to watch so much YouTube to prepare for this episode. Half this movie is on YouTube and not in the movie. <laughs> I well, I, I know James Franco, like his character, is supposedly is like really fleshed out. Where here he's in it for one minute, basically. Like <laughs> he just cooks. Yeah, that's it. So. I like too that he says at one point too he's not feeling well. He says, "Oh, I'm burning up." You know, there's a little bit of foreshadowing there nice. for him as well. Nice. There's a person who's choking over a dinner scene as a nice little callback. Yeah. to the first film, right? The whole, all the special feature stuff are all. Well, the film actually itself too has a lot of callbacks yes. and foreshadowing and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that scene. I think it's on YouTube and I it's on the DVD is the Last Supper because it's yeah. the last meal they have before they go into their hypersleep. And Ridley Scott doesn't put subtext; he puts text. So you know, we just went straight for the Last Supper. Like James Franco's got a little blanket wrapped around him. He is. Like it's look religion. So that's happening in it, but he doesn't feel well. And so he goes essentially to bed early after they've all taken their little pill. That's going to get them ready for hypersleep, which I think in the, in that scene, they say something like it's going to kick in within like a couple of hours. And then they all go get hammered, which seems terrible. Like that's not good planning, but he goes essentially to bed early for seven years and his wife stays up and gives a speech. No, no, that's nonsense. Like, well, I, I've always felt that at least with the medications, they should tell you on the bottle what's going to get you super high and what's going to kill you if you mix it with alcohol. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, b- back to your original question on on the couples. Um, it, oh yeah, yeah, good idea. The, yeah. <laughs> the the thing with with these prequels and and what I feel like Ridley Scott is trying to do. I think most movies. You get a movie with maybe one or two ideas in it. 
I, I think these movies are a whole bunch of ideas without a movie. And yeah. then they came <laughs> up with a movie to throw all these ideas into. That movie mm. just happened to be an okay Aliens movie, basically, mm -hmm. you know? And for whatever reason, whether it's studio, whether it's the audience, whatever, they doubled down on that with Covenant and went even yeah. further into it being in. But all the ideas are still there. I mean, there's some stuff. I mean, I don't know, you know, how many scenes we're going to get into here, but like the whole opening sequence with David and Wayland is to me one of the best things I've seen in the last 10 years. It's just so mm -hmm. interesting, so fascinating. Um, it, the performances between the two of them are just so great. And it's just it really just stays with you, like some of the stuff that they're talking about. And so it's like just the ideas are all there. It's just they had to make this scary haunted house monster alien movie. I agree with you. I love that opening scene. And you can see Dave. It really it shows almost David's whole story in that opening because he goes yeah. from the moment of awakening creation to utter contempt yeah. of Guy Pierce's wailing, right? And it's just... You can see the what's going to happen now as the rest of this thing unf unfol unfolds there. And I, I agree with you. That is a, a great scene. I have to naysay and just say that I hate that, that scene. Um, oh. I have to. I'm sorry. Because when I was watching it, I was like, wait a second. But this is like 60 years before the last movie. And he seemed pretty okay in the last movie. And it just was like the cracks were starting to show. And I was like, has he really hated him for 60 years? And he like hung around the whole, I was like this, it felt like that opening scene did not at all acknowledge the 60 years those two characters spent together. I think David is a lot more calculating than you're giving him credit for. I think yeah. you know, with, with his Android brain, like, you know, screw 60 years. I want to meet my maker, my maker's maker and kill it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he doesn't care. Like he will do what he needs to do to get there. I guess to me, it just sort of seemed like, and I have in my notes, I was like, wait, the first moment of his life is he's asking the questions we see him deal with in the last movie. I was like, what? The, oh, okay. That's, that's kind of awfully convenient because if I'm crazy Wayland, are you not, you're not worried about this android that is incredibly menacing from the moment that he's born? Like, when did he, when did he get like cool with him that he didn't think he was going to get him killed one day. He just seemed too obviously menacing. I think that's probably the best part of that particular scene is when Waylon realizes what's what that David is aware and that yeah. he feels that way about him. And so he does that power move to have him bring them the tea, even though it's right next to him in the chair. Yeah. And I mean, that, that, that particular moment says so much, I think, about their relationship. And then like you say, David, that David getting confused now, yeah, is already kind of <laughs> calculating yeah, and figuring things out. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, think it's, I think it's great and one of the most, more interesting, subtle moments in the entire film. For sure. Yeah, well, it also speaks to, to uh, Ridley Scott's uh, bleak streak that runs through a lot of his work and especially mm. yeah. the, these movies. Waylon just wants to lord that control over his creation and not to get too anti-religious here or anything, but very <laughs> much like a certain creator and uh, our species, you know, and that is very much what these movies are all about. Yeah. So Juan, let me ask you then. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we think of this version's, this film's version, I should say, of Ripley, Catherine Waterston as Daniels? Boo. She's so boring. She made me miss 
Shaw, who I didn't particularly care for in the last movie, but I was like, at least I got what she was getting at. I wholeheartedly disagreed with her character, but she had one. This lady is just like Bobo Demi Moore with that one haircut she had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also think that... So here's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of split on this because I did think that it was like so obvious, like, oh, that this is just another Ripley. Like, how many times are they going to do this? But I didn't really remember the later Alien sequels from seeing them when they first came out. I actually yeah. just rewatched all of the Alien movies for this podcast, by the way. I usually don't do that much research, guys. Wow. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and I forgot that they do that in every single one of these freaking movies. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I guess they just can't get away from it. I just, I don't know why. I don't. No. Hold on, wait. I'm writing down a note. David does not like strong <laughs> yes. roles. That's right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's it's, the takeaway. <laughs> very strange that they have to all be dark haired, short haircut, tank top wearing ladies who've just mm. had enough of it at the end. You you started it with Alien. You don't have to you 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 can move on. That's that's the part I don't get is Something like Alien 3 or Resurrection, I get that they're aping the earlier movies, but I don't understand why Ridley Scott has to do a bad Ridley Scott. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one. Listen, he makes bad films every now and then. No, yeah. I don't think Covenant <laughs> is a bad film. Now, what's the one of the gods of Egypt? What am I blanking on the name of that one? Uh, what is it? Gods e and Exodus? Exodus e colon gods something. <laughs> something like that. That yeah. thing's atrocious. I mean, that is one of the worst films I've seen in the past 20 years. Ooh. I don't think this is that level at all. Well, this I is seen it. mid <laughs> mid-tier Scott. But Dave, let me ask you a question. So you say you watched all the Alien films then. Mm -hmm. Did you watch my, dare I say, beloved, <laughs> unrated cut of Alien vs. Predator Requiem? Or did you watch the theatrical version? Okay, I stuck to the main... Did you skip those? <laughs> yeah, I, I stuck okay. to just the four Alien movies and these two prequels. I mean, technically, those two movies don't exist once we get into like this yeah. story. Because how could... The xenomorphs be on Earth hunted a millennia ago if David hasn't invented them yet. That's right. So <laughs> those never happened. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm upset about those never happening because I love Sonalitham in AVP. I'm sad that that means that, you know, she didn't get marked by a predator and walk around with an alien head for a shield. I'm sad that that technically never happened. Life isn't fair. I know. Can't have everything. <laughs> so what do you think of Scott's revisions, revisionism of how the aliens work? So we've sped up a lot of the timelines, right? The yeah. incubation period now takes minutes. Now, I don't know if maybe that's just a progression thing as the films go and he explains that. And also, too, wouldn't the aerosol version be more efficient? I think so. Than doing face huggers and all the other stuff? Yeah, but the thing is, is we still don't technically know how they got off the planet necessarily. Like we stop like just as it's going to happen. So maybe only a certain kind made it out. And, you know, even if it evolved on that planet, it's not going to necessarily get the chance to elsewhere in exactly the same way. I It's hard to say with, you know, the fact that I'm sure we'll talk about it more later that, you know, we're never going to get you know, the continued story. <laughs> so, uh, which I, I would give anything for, by the way. But um, yeah, we're probably never going to find that out, unfortunately. As much as I 
will poke at character motivations or reasoning for this or that. Somehow the whole life cycle of these creatures, I just don't get too hung up on because I'm also kind of factoring in like, I don't know what the perception of time is when I'm watching a movie. So some of it, yes, obviously it goes from like face hugger to immediate alien, like very, very fast with Billy Crudup, like, like that, which that's not what we see in Alien. But I just am kind of like, well, it's not the same exact creature. Right. So I, I just, I kind of, I can let that stuff go a little bit. Does it take 12 hours? Does it take, you know, 12 minutes? Does it take 12 seconds? I don't know. They're all slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the creature design has varied enough that I didn't really like get locked into the idea that the xenomorph looks like one exact thing. I know that I pretty much nobody agrees with that, but it's just one of those things that I was like, oh, it has to look exactly like that because not all people look the same. So why would all xenomorphs look exactly the same? Yeah. I was just sort of like, like the predators. Mm-hmm. They look slightly different from each other. What? You but all, but all Ripley's look basically roughly <laughs> the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> another weird thing too scott says during the commentary so not to spoil the film at all but one well, well, i guess it's not that big a, a spoil but one of the aliens is crushed by kind of this crane thing and it, and it falls apart in pieces and lands on the ground scott actually says we'll see what will happen now is it'll 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 regrow from its parts and then more aliens will be around afterwards what it's a worm yeah, I, I was really surprised by him saying that that He's different parts of it can up. DNA <laughs> and clone itself in some. I, I don't know. Uh, I, he's kind of a crazy old man. Should we keep letting him be in charge of stuff? And he introduces <laughs> yes. he introduces Xenovision in this one oh, yeah. too, right? That what do you think fun. of that? That was um, off putting. Uh-huh. <laughs> all kinds of weird ideas again this movie is filled (laughs) with so many ideas the alien ones aren't necessarily the good ones though unfortunately it's it's all the other stuff that are are where they just the the great stuff is one of the things i read about the movie and this goes back to like I, i don't know i think i'm going to throughout this episode simultaneously complain about ridley scott being influenced by other people's opinions and also Ridley Scott not listening to anybody. I think I'm going to be mad about both of those things. Sure. But I read that earlier drafts of the script had the message from Shaw that they receive out in space be a prayer and they thought it was too corny. And so they changed it to a John Denver song. Oh, that see now that would have made so much sense with the, the captain. Of course. That, That was the instant thought I had was I was like, Oh, that would, pay off why he's religious because he's like whining about how his religion gets in the way of his career which it doesn't you were second out of everybody there's like a dozen people here but it doesn't pay off and if that had been a prayer from her and then our knockoff Ripley had been like no this isn't a good idea because of all the science and he said she's out there praying like I've I've got to go to her I know that it's going to be okay it's dumb but it's character accurate it's yeah. a, his personal kind of dumb instead of just, yeah, I heard you. We're going to go there anyway, though. What? what? Damn. That, that, that really <laughs> makes me mad because that was such yeah. a great idea if they had stuck with yes. that. It would have been so much better because I don't understand what the significance of that song is to a British question mark archaeologist <laughs> who lived all around the world 
And that song is from a hundred years before she was born. Why would she be singing it? The only thing we know about her from the last movie is that she is deeply religious, cannot have children, and is real sad that her parents are dead. So why aren't any of those factoring into the last message we hear from her? Why is she singing a John Denver song? Yeah. Who pitched that? Whose fault is that? That'll be the next prequel. <laughs> Hopefully we'll find that out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, I would be more interested in watching a movie that expands on some of the uh, scenes that were just on YouTube where we see the actual voyage between just David and Shaw. I'm way more interested in what happened on that ship than I am in what happened in this movie. I got news for you. It's really dark, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it's at least intriguing. Yes. And to have like a supremely religious person and an android stuck together on the hunt for their mutual creator, like... I want to see that. Fascinating. Yeah. Instead, they're like, no. Nah. And then he blew everybody up and she's dead. And uh, yeah, people are dumb it, and they fall down a lot in this movie. And, and the fate of Shaw is like super <gasps> graphic Rip. when you see one of the special features on it when they go through what happened to her exactly. And it mm-hmm. is. Oof. So I don't think there's any scene in here that's as scary and as intense as the abortion scene from Prometheus. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is, I think, one of the best scenes in the entire franchise. Sure. But if I, if anything comes close, it's the ending of this film when Daniels realizes that it's not Walter, but oh, it's yeah. David. That's very scary. And you, you just get a visceral, I just, you, I just got a chill when it happened, you know, when she has that re- realization. And I guess there's one point it says, too, that she, Daniels, his plan for her is for Daniels to be a queen. She's mm-hmm. he's going to experiment on her to then develop the queen alien, which is just even more unsettling. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, and that's the thing. I that ending is part of what I love so much about the movie. Everything that happens with David, I mean, it's just so incredibly bleak and dark, and just uh, really just a messed up story between these two movies you know and i mean the way i mean he basically genocides those entire yeah. uh you know race <laughs> entire of, planet yeah I mean, it's it's yeah. it's horrifying um and you know one thing that i i love about about this movie in particular and it's something like this is like totally unrelated but like this past year with the matrix resurrections which i know some people did not like but like just to, to get a big-budget blockbuster that's so outside of the norm of what you would expect from a big-budget blockbuster is so weird. Like, And mm. I, I feel like this is maybe the strangest big-budget blockbuster we'll ever see in our lifetime. It's definitely weird, and I definitely don't like it. So that's like the Matrix Resurrection for me. They go together. <laughs> did, yeah, did not like it. I want to ask one question to follow up on the ending of the film because it put something else in perspective for me then. So Scott says in the commentary too that the sequel to Covenant is already written at the time when he's recording the commentary. Obviously, that was, what, four, five years ago? Five (laughs) years ago now. So I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. But one of the things where the the way that film ends when David kind of assumes control of the ship that I thought was interesting is it makes me think now that Whalen Yutani knows exactly what is on LV-426. 
Not that there is a signal from the first film. They wanted to check it out and then they see what it is, that maybe there's something there that they could take advantage of. David's recording notes as he goes. So now I think they know exactly what's there. That somehow maybe the second film or this third sequel, second sequel, third film here is Daniels wakes up or they escape. There's a big fight. The ship crash lands in LV-426. And then that is something I well no because it's not it's an alien ship that's on LV426 not the Prometheus I mean not the Covenant right so I'm you right. can throw that out right. but I guess it makes me wonder does Whalen Yutani actually know exactly what they're going for in Alien now and before I always thought it was more just they were just wanted to check it out and then yeah. see what it could be adds another a sinister even more sinister layer I think to that story yeah I I would agree with that I think it's hard to say if that's like a hundred percent what he was going for in telling the story with these prequels. But I would say that's how I kind of received it as well is that this appears to be more and more about the company versus in that first one, you really don't know. And in the second one, you know, the company is bad. Like that's kind of like, Oh, the reveal in aliens is like, well, the company, they, they don't care about people. They just want this thing. But in the first one, it's ambiguous and that adds to the mystery and everything that's going on. And I think through these prequels, it, it feels very much like this company is more evil than than you realize from aliens. Yeah. <laughs> like they really, really know. And and also, like speaking of the company. So in Prometheus, it's Wayland. And in this one, it's Wayland yutani So the merger happened <laughs> between those two. And I think I've watched too much Succession, but I can only assume that they're like, finally, like our bastard old CEO is dead. So we can make this merger, make this deal. And they're merging with like another super evil corporation (laughs) that has like also messed up ideas. But ever since Guy Pierce disappeared, now they can merge, right? Now they can get even more sinister. Sure. What do you think, David? Am I being too fan fictiony <laughs> here? Am I getting overthinking this? I mean, not really. I, you know, like you said, the, the one problem is that it's an alien ship, and so it kind of screws up the timeline of of yeah. what exactly to expect. But you know, I I really wonder that with you know, I, I don't know if you guys are going to want to talk about this later or whatever. But with you know, the continuation, really, all we're going to get is this TV series, and I really yeah. wonder how much of it is going to be synthesized into that, even though it's its own story and its own creators and everything. Um, I wonder if there's any, you know, collaboration in there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't. So here's the problem, right? So David invents the eggs. Yeah. And the eggs are on the the crashed alien, the engineer spaceship mm-hmm. on the planet. Yeah. So how do you reconcile that? How does David's, because he's wiped them all out, right, David? They're all dead. Yeah. The engineers are all gone. Well. So somehow he ends up, well, no, because there's an engineer in the, there's the gunner, right? The So it's kind of twofold. The is space jockey's there, though. The, so the space jockey's there, but also essentially that planet that we're on in Covenant, like those aren't the same engineers. Those are like some other kind of people who look a whole lot like them, but they're not the exact same ones. They're not all those, you know, smooth face, like white, blue. They're not the exact same kind of people. So. Oh, I always thought they were. They I, were I got that the they were. Planet. 
I got that they were, and they just they they've they've uh, colonized multiple planets at, at some point. I mean, they look different, and I've read other things that say that they they're some kind of some kind of different because they're also living. Like if you look at like what they're wearing and like where they're living, it doesn't seem like the same level of technology as like what's on the ship. And so why would they all be gathering around to see one of their ships come home in the middle of their city? And what I've kind of gathered from my research is the interpretation is that these people are welcoming home their creators. This is just another kind of Mm. race that the engineers have created on another planet same as they did with you know humans on earth this is just a different flavor of the the goo evolution but that they're not the exact same so i mean they don't look the same so even if it's not um not as straightforward as like it's a different species but maybe it's a different like level of people in their society like the, the engineers are the ones who are, you know, capital E engineer. They get to handle the goo and they get to travel to other planets. But these people are like the worker bees who keep things going. So I don't know. That, that's what I have gathered from um, probably way too much YouTube. I think my brain is rotten. I, I just like the phrase capital E engineer. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. We got to remember that, you know, one or two even sequels were going to bridge these right. together. So there's a lot right. of movie missing. And, uh, yeah. you, you know, yeah. much like Waylon living as long as he can to uh, <laughs> to meet his makers and ask, you know, the big questions, I'm going to live as long as humanly possible just to maybe get those movies. So. <laughs> I'm pulling for you. Yeah. it's So the next one, the third one in the series was supposed to be um, Alien Awakening, which I would assume from the name was going to be waking up on that ship and what has David done, mm-hmm. right? Right? Probably. Yeah. And then Scott wanted to do a fourth movie that would essentially be like, okay, this will be your direct lead-in to what they find in right. Alien. Well, I don't know how he was going to connect those two movies that don't exist. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a them. lot of movie. Uh, oh yeah very very ambitious i'm gonna go i'm gonna go order like three copies of uh the last duel on blu-ray right now just to maybe head start this thing yeah put some money in his pocket make mm-hmm. sure he knows yep. <laughs> i don't know what he had in mind but it sounds now you've got me like thinking that i can never believe anything ridley scott says so maybe he was just making it all up anyway sure yeah. <laughs> well i think we're missing a core issue here that may be causing our problems is now who owns 20th century films. Yes, that is right? important. Is the Disney ownership. I mean, right. they say they want to make new properties. And David, you said there's that show coming up. Yeah. But yeah. how is that going to... I mean, they have seemed to just dismiss a lot of their non-Disney properties, right? And the way they... The dropping of The Last Duel, um, the way they, with no fanfare. Either way, they don't seem to be as focused you know they're pushing out the 20th century stuff just to get it out there. We're leaving we're leaving one other thing out as well too. Aside from the, the Disney thing, which you're absolutely right about, yeah. uh, but also the co-writers of this. Uh, you know, like it really is multiple multiple ideas coming from all over the place. And yeah. you know, Ridley Scott is not the source necessarily <laughs> of all of this. I mean, there there's so many people credited between these two. Uh, the, these two prequels, uh, which are different, of course, than 
who's credited with the original Alien. So, like, lots of ideas just kind of spilling all around here. Yeah. <laughs> I shudder to think what it was going to be, but also, like, nothing's impossible. That's ideas come around. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows if he'll get to make another one of these or if he'll just be making another movie and then just like casually just slip in some reference that he can get away with without copyright infringement and he'll be like uh, i don't know guys <laughs> ask your lawyers if this is in the alien universe maybe if the tv show does well it'll renew interest you know we'll see it could and we do have one problem i hesitate to say and i don't want to jinx anything here especially the run we've had this this, this year so far uh-oh Ridley Scott's 84. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he is very, Shit, very old, but he's out there. He's got more energy than me. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. He's, he's putting in work, that guy. He's busy. No retirement for that dude. I think he's working on like three movies right now. Like always. Yeah. I, I keep, I don't know. I don't know how he does it. I guess like old people don't sleep that much. So that helps. That's what I get from TV. <laughs> I, I think they just like, like take those little naps they just nod off for a second and that revives them for like the equivalent of an hour of regular sleep yeah so uh yeah i did that before this recording by the way <laughs> smart <laughs> feels nice right yeah i have to drink alcohol to keep going myself <laughs> <laughs> so i i don't have a, a segue for this question i just have to ask it because i don't i don't know how it fits in with are androids. So they have proceeded through these movies with a little like wink and a nod of their names being A, B, C, and D. And then we just skip, skip to W. Now I can't, I haven't like tried to figure out what this is for because I just wanted to think about something on my own and not ask the internet. But is Walter Walter because of Walter Hill to go along with David Geiler? Is that why he's just randomly Walter and not an E name? Hmm. Is that... That's a good I think it question. It makes sense. If, if I had to guess. Why is his name Walter? The whole movie, I was like, why is his name Walter? It's so off-putting. Because huh. they were so intentional, even though chronologically it doesn't work, but with the Android characters as the series progressed. So, W. I That's the only thing I can think of. Also, Walter's a weird name, so that's really the only thing I could think of. Hmm. I, it didn't feel like it had a, a biblical symbol. I was like, Walter? I don't think there's a book of Walter. So <laughs> I'm picturing a guy named Walter clicking unsubscribe right now. <laughs> no, Walter, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, that that uh that was the only thing I could come up with. I feel like it has to be. It makes sense in a weird way it does. So I I want to talk a little bit cuz kind of we've explored like what Ridley Scott was going to do and isn't but still maybe who knows? Anything's possible. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about the alien movies that we were maybe possibly for a minute going to get from Neil Blomkamp? Hmm. In 2015, Neil Blomkamp announced that he was going to make essentially a fifth alien movie. He, it was his own idea, his own concept art. It was essentially going to pick up after Aliens. And so essentially like Alien 3 and Resurrection, they don't exist. He was just going to Pretend those have nothing to do with it. And he was going to have Sigourney Weaver. He was going to have Michael Bean. Like, he really wanted to get into that. And uh, that obviously did not happen. What are our thoughts on... on his, well, What would he have done other than, like, the concept art that's out there? 
Is it good that we didn't get that? Is it bad that we didn't get that? <laughs> I, looking at David's face, I think he has some thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. Like, I mean, first of all, Neil Blomkamp, not the best track record necessarily. I mean, <laughs> District 9 is great, but, uh, yeah. you know, not the best track record overall. But, you know, I mean, first of all, I'd much rather have these prequels because they raise such interesting questions and just so much to think about. And that is infinitely more interesting to to me than just another alien movie um I also you know as much as i really loved rewatching these movies recently the last one leaves it in such a bad place like i i just don't know that there's a way forward for the story unless you're just gonna branch out and just tell a totally different story in the universe yeah. which is basically what ridley scott did just he did it mm-hmm. you know beforehand um yeah I, I don't know that there's a way forward for the story though so it's probably for the best, although I'd imagine it's eventually going to happen one way or another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I remember when I first heard about this, I was actually kind of excited about it. It's like, David, I like District 9. I think Elysium is actually pretty good. Yeah. And I don't hate Chappie as much as other people do. I don't hate Chappie either. It's It's fine. It's fun, you know. Yeah, I have not seen Demonic that came out last year, which I hear is just not Ooh. good. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. It's yeah, mm-hmm. but I just don't. I don't know. I lo- I love the concept of revisiting Michael Bean right, and Sigourney Weaver, and all, but I just think I agree with you. I think it was the right decision to have Scott take come back in, take the seat, and kind of go off this side view, uh, this little side direction for the franchise. That's not, you know. Nothing matches the scares and the heights of the first film or the second, but they're interesting. Yeah. That's, I can at least say that. They they are interesting, much more so than, I think, 3 and Requiem and any of the AVP films. <laughs> I just, I don't ever want to see Sigourney Weaver be Ripley ever again. Mm. <laughs> like, no. I just, yeah. the more it happens the more upset I got as the movies continued. I was like, no, you're kidding me. So I, um, as much as the idea of having like his take on an alien story, because I don't, because of how those movies kind of began, I don't essentially put alien equals Ridley Scott. I just, I don't because the creature worked so well in the next movie and it's not his writing. It's not his creation. It's not his creation visually. It's not his creation on the page. Right. But he shot yeah. the movie really, really well, directed it so well. But I don't kind of put the two together as that is his thing. So I like the idea of having other directors with a unique perspective and a unique approach continue to have their take on this story. But please no more Ripley. I don't want it. Please don't any ever anyone do it. Stop it. Leave her alone. She's dead like multiple times over. Yeah. Stop. But what if like this time she's like a cyborg or she's it's the soul of Ripley possesses no nothing not oh, maybe for you. Uh, where's our Ripley Android that just that's why it'll be uncanny valley that it doesn't really look exactly like her and they'll just yeah. de-age and they'll be like eh, it's a robot Ripley Good I shouldn't awful. even say these things because someone's gonna do it this is a bummer <laughs> 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 Uh, okay, so we've discussed the the movies from Ridley Scott that have not come. The other Blomkamp idea that didn't come. Is there anything else from Alien Covenant that we want to talk about specifically before we get into the score corner? 
which we have Scalzo score corner. Jesse Smollett was in the film. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then he died. He was like, <laughs> right through the neck. Yeah, bad times. <laughs> we, did, we didn't talk about uh, Michael Fassbender and Michael Fassbender uh, te- te- <laughs> teaching him how to play the recorder. Um, that's, that's kind of an important scene. <laughs> it is. It's. Honestly, it's vital to the to the story. <laughs> when I talk about ideas, this is uh, this is what I'm talking about. This is uh, yeah. one, of, one of the best scenes like of the last <laughs> ten years. It's so so good. So it's so strange. Everything Michael Fassbender is doing in both roles in this movie is absolutely batshit crazy. It's amazing. It's so wild. <laughs> it's just like. It, that voice that he's doing as Walter, I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is. That's confusing. The fact that I guess the android's hair grows is confusing. Just a lot of time for them to bond, but also ticking clock while mm-hmm. things are going on on this planet. So mm-hmm. in that scene, I was just like, right, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just like to think, you know, if if you're taking a movie as, uh, you know, something that's happening, you know, uh, somewhere in the vastness of the universe, that's something that's happening. You know, (laughs) know? (laughs) this complete insanity is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine telling someone in the late 80s that like, oh, yeah, you know, Alien and Aliens. One day there's going to be a movie in this series where it's robots. Same guy playing both guys and he kisses himself and he plays a flute with himself. <laughs> like that person in the eighties would be like, you're on too much cocaine. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Ugh, a lot of ideas. David, that is such a diplomatic way mm, to refer to a messy like movie. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to hold on to that. A lot of ideas. Awesome. That's really nice. You're very polite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Are we ready for score corner? Can we discuss? I, I'm very, I'm very intimidated by score corner. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if I even want to do it because uh, David's here. Because <laughs> he's actually a musician, he knows what he's talking about. I'm a, a hack, and <laughs> we actually have somebody who knows. So I'll, I'll spend, I'll say a couple words, but David, I'd really like to get your impression of the score for Covenant. Personally, I think that the composer, that Kurtzel, does a great job melding the goldsmith. Uh, in Gregson Williams scores while I think including and providing his own work and I think it all comes together exceptionally well where I think it could maybe they could clash a bit but I think that he does a great job of just bringing in the classic Goldsmith score melding it with some of the stuff from Prometheus as well while adding his own stuff and I think it nothing outshines something else and it balances perfectly I, I respect his restraint his humility to do something like that. And I think it fits the film really well. Drives the film forward when you need to. It adds the mystery we need. Uh, And I think it really lets you kind of sink in and soak in these scenes perfectly. I think it's one of the better scores. And maybe I'm biased because I love the Goldsmith score so much. (laughs) To have that so... Be be so much a part of this film that I really uh, enjoyed it. What about you, David? What are your thoughts of uh, the score for Covenant? No, I think that was all really well said. I mean, I, I do like that he leans on that original score so much in this one, more so than than anything with Prometheus. And it feels like it's like a continuation in a way, just like the movie is. And mm. 
it's uh it's a fantastic score and really like you said the the mystery of it all is is accented so well and i mean the only other real thing i could add is we we brought up earlier the ending but when that when that music unloads along with that realization that gut reaction of realizing what david has just done um yeah i mean it's just a powerful ending and that music really kind of drives the whole thing home yeah agreed what about you juan did you enjoy this one yeah whenever there's and and this happened in prometheus too whenever i hear echoes of the original score my body responds to it positively. Even if I don't like what I'm watching, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like it's a trick. It's like use, it's taking advantage of the wiring in my brain that hears that score and goes, ooh, this is great. And I, I have to fight against that impulse to immediately think that that's how good the score itself is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are we, uh, we ready to talk about what our favorite performance is? Like who gives our favorite performance in this particular movie david would you like to go first i mean it's obviously michael fassbender i mean (laughs) i I don't see how we're not all three gonna say michael fassbender but you know be my guest to pick someone else but uh yeah michael fassbender is just so good as david as walter um but both one of the great dual performance performances but also (laughs) just uh, taking this character to even darker places than he did in Prometheus. Um, it's just a fantastic performance. What do you, who do you like him better as, David or Walter? Definitely David. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the original. Walter is definitely weird. Like, you almost yeah. wonder if they were like, uh, let's tone down this guy's violence and also make him a little weirder so he doesn't get, like, too <laughs> full of himself or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Chris, who is who gives your favorite performance? Uh, two weeks in a row, Fassbender is David again. I I agree with our David that um, <laughs> it is the most interesting performance in the film. The fact that he also plays, you know, Walter, and he, so he plays against both characters. There is really fun to watch, and just how sinister he is—the slightest little side eye or the little gesture movements. That everything means so much and is also terrifying. And I think Fassbender really nails it. So, yeah, he's my pick as well. I don't know what you're going to do with your poll question this week. We'll have to see what you come up with. I know. Uh, I I guess I will just, you know, ask people, Team David or Team Walter. That's, that's, that's the a best good I question. can do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll I find w- out a lot about people psychologically. I would love it if you picked uh, James Franco right now. It <laughs> would be great. <laughs> oh, man. When he caught on fire, boy, I was like, that guy can act. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I would say an honorable mention to Danny McBride yeah. of Tennessee. I actually had yeah. a lot of fun with him, too. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, regardless of Cowboy Hat, it was the only name that I could remember out of the characters that were not played by Michael Fassbender. Everybody else, I either don't remember or I looked up immediately before this started. So, (laughs) but I was like, that guy's name is Tennessee. So he stood out. I followed what was going on with him. So yeah, honorable mention for Danny McBride for sure. And because he wasn't like your usual Danny McBride, I give him a little Mm -hmm. extra points for stretching. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell Danny McBride loves these movies. Like it it shows through (laughs) in his performance. Yeah. He, he was good in this. I'll give him that. So you're going Waterston, huh? Oh, <laughs> I was like, who's that? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> wow. I just, I honestly, after watching this, I was like, I've never seen that woman since. 
no, I've seen her in other things. That's just how bland she was in this is that I didn't realize she's an actress I've seen in other things. No good. I like her dad a lot. Aw. <laughs> okay, are we ready for uh, the ultimate? Wait, am I blacking out? Did you make a pick? Oh, it has to be Fastbender. Yeah. Okay. And it's David. Nobody else is nobody else is really doing anything. It's David. Yeah. Okay. I just want to get you officially on the record. Yes, I am on the record all the way. Awesome. <laughs> so now are we ready to rate the movie on the patented uh screen run changes every season rating? <laughs> uh this season is eggs. Uh so David, as our esteemed guest and person who shares a character name with someone in the movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is your egg rating for alien covenant between one and five eggs and to be clear half eggs are allowed half yes. eggs are allowed but no smaller than halves because that's not how eggs break right fair um <laughs> i feel like i might be overrating this a little bit guys but okay. th- this is this is how i feel in the moment after rewatching it the other day uh, I love this movie. I'm going four and a half eggs. <gasps> Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! Yeah. yeah, I love this movie. It's just, <laughs> this is a movie, I, I know a lot of people do not like it. I'm sure your ratings are going to be a lot lower, but I, I'm going to be thinking about this until I go to bed tonight. And I'm going to be thinking about it until the next time I watch it. And I'm going to watch it again. And I'm going to be thinking about it more after that. I love this movie. Wow. Even with all of its messiness. Um, Chris? You're the only one who can say anything about this because I gave Alien versus Predator four eggs. So I Ugh. think I am yeah. recused from having an opinion on that rating. Yeah. No, I that's fascinating <laughs> to me. I thought I've been vacillating myself between three and three and a half. Mm. And I'm gonna go with three and a half. I think it's it's solid, it's entertaining. I unlike Juan, I actually enjoy the ambiguity of Prometheus. I think that's a f- interesting film that makes you think about it for a while. And I think I enjoy Scott's kind of revisiting of the haunted house and space type of a uh, thing that he's doing in this one. The faults in it hold me back to giving it four. Now you get a couple pops in me on a Saturday night. You could probably convince me to go to a four, sure. but right now I'm sitting at three and a half and I'm comfortable <laughs> with that. Absolutely. I, but fair. four and a half is, I got to ask you then. So where do you fall on the other films then? I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Uh, Alien and Aliens also four and a half. Alien 3, actually 4. I liked it a lot more this time on the rewatch than I did back when I first saw it in the theaters. I, I, I think it's very And underrated. again, this is theatrical, not the This um, is a theatrical. I, I have not seen the, uh, the, the uh, director's cut yet, or what do they call it? The work cut? The assembly. Think, assembly cut. cut. Yeah, yeah, so I haven't seen that. Uh, Resurrection is like a freaking 2 or something. It's, <laughs> it's not very good. Uh and then Prometheus I would also go 4, I think. Uh 3 and a half or 4. I struggle with you sharing Covenant having the same rating as the first and the second film. Yeah, it, it's 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 a fair thing. I I do think that the first <laughs> and the second film uh there there's a lot of nostalgia at play and just how high we hold these in esteem. Uh I think that they're great, but I think that they're kind of messy as well. Um, I, I don't think that they're perfect. I think the first one is. I think I've called it a perfect film. I yeah, think yeah. I, that's and fair. It's a great, great movie for sure. I will say also, um, I didn't see them uh, before. I saw Alien in 2020 and then Aliens in 2021. So I have no nostalgia for them. I honestly thought like that loader 
scene was from the first Alien because I didn't even realize mm. that yeah. those were different movies because I was just like, I don't know. These are just things I know about Sigourney Weaver and <laughs> that monster. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, I don't have nostalgia for them and I think they're both incredible. But then I'm looking over my rankings for some of these other ones and like, who am I? What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> who lets me do this? How'd you feel when you found out that the uh, loader thing was just a guy behind her? That the whole thing is just a suit? <laughs> <laughs> Did that bother you at all? Is it like seeing behind the curtain there? Finding out Santa Claus isn't real? I'm pretending I don't know it. I'm Fair still enough. just like, la, 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 la. That's, that's real. That's <laughs> That really happened. Well, that's how I feel about yeah. these prequels, by the way. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> all right, boss. What do you got? All right, so I don't like this movie. I I think I've made that clear. There are some good things in this movie, but personally to me, all of those good things are just lifted from other Alien movies and not even just Alien. Like, he's lifting things from James Cameron at some points. So I can't even, like, give him, like, partial credit. Like, oh, well, it's an homage if it's to yourself. It's like, no, somebody, no, that's no bueno. I didn't like it. It made me really mad, so I'm giving it a two. two. All right. Yeah, sorry. That's what I got. I don't like that. That makes me sad. <laughs> what did you give Prometheus again? Uh, a three. Three? Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. I did not like Alien Covenant, and... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like these, like... I question our entire relationship. <laughs> Can you be friends with somebody? Who's just... David is the best at disagreeing with somebody's opinion on a podcast because he'll just be like, okay. And you know that he's like, nah, you're wrong. But he's yeah. not going to do that to you. <laughs> it's all right up here, guys. And it's like, interesting, which means, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, as soon as that camera goes off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm on to you, David Rosen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just so nice to people, polite, <laughs> respectful. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Yep. Just a scary android. <laughs> Gathering data. I'm now I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, so, David, thank you again for joining us on this episode. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad you were here to disagree vehemently with me, but again, so politely. Tell our lovely listeners where they can hear more of you out there on the internet and uh, anything else you got to plug. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And it was great to revisit the series. You know, I know I only had to watch the one movie, but I was like, "Eh, I might as well do it finally. It's been a million years. But uh, yeah, you can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. We look at movies through the lens of what other movies might have inspired them. And uh, you have been on the show before and uh, we'll get you back again sometime soon, I hope. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always a fun show. And uh, my music you can find at uh, bydavidrosen.com, uh, where I just recently released a soundtrack album for a film called The Dissection Table. I'm currently working on two more albums, so uh, just constantly working on stuff. Are you ever, like, away from a computer or microphone? No. No. <laughs> That's Doesn't impressive. <laughs> I love it. I, I love piecing it together and i Hmm. literally will like watch a movie and be like ah here here are all the pieces and get so excited and then go to check like what you guys have talked about in your episodes i love it it's it's a great concept it's a fun way to watch movies awesome idea 
Well done, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you can follow this show here at Screen Run. You can email us at ScreenRunFun at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the Lady One and Chris at CG Scalzo. And we would absolutely love it if you would subscribe to the show anywhere you're listening to podcasts. And you can find all of our episodes at screenrun.fun. Oh, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a rating. It really helps the show and um, it makes me personally very happy. Uh, so next episode. <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> Nothing. I just I've always enjoyed your closures and closings and your <laughs> transitions. Go ahead. Wait, I'm a fucking professional, man. Whoa! <laughs> so next episode will be the last episode of this particular season of Screen Run. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a little something different. Like I said, a very special episode. So Chris and I will be back again to wrap up this season and discuss something that you may not be expecting. So stay tuned for that. Looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be a fun time. Thank you again, David. Thank, Thank you. you, Chris, for coming back. You're welcome. I mean, thanks I for worried. bringing me back. I was a little <laughs> concerned. You're going to be like, you know what, Chris? Don't worry about it this week. We're going to be okay. <sighs> Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back soon. Look, I finished the show. Nailed it. <laughs> awesome. funny if you just let out like a xenomorph screech right now (laughs) (laughs) it's within Mm. me it's deep within me